Hey, I'm Sadie. And I'm Zamie. And this is I Ain't Got Time to Read, a podcast for colored folks who have considered doing the readings, but the time of the day wasn't enough. This season, we'll discuss the book Sick and other essays by Tressie McMillan Cottom. In this essay, Tressie discusses the relationships between African Americans and Black ethnics, or Black people who are not born in the United States. She refers to them as quote-unquote special Blacks. She focuses on the perception of so-called special Blacks in university settings, and how schools capitalized off this perception why the rest of American culture will not ask if you have an accent before it shoots you. She discusses the necessity of code switching and how her privilege has allowed her to step away from code switching almost entirely. She ends the essay with a quote, The false choice between black black and worthy black is a trap. It poses that ending blackness was the goal of anti-racist work when the real goal has always been and should always be ending whiteness. I do not trust you. Too many white people like you. The level to which white people feel comfortable around black people has typically been an indicator of the level of passing or code switching a black person can do. This statement speaks to the mindset of a previous generation as compared to what we typically see today. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think this is such a great statement that she put in the text because I know I've had my own my own interactions with this where I have felt intimately trusted by white people and I have also not trusted black people because they were too intimate with white people. And mm. so to kind of see this statement like the it's kind of to it was it helped me actualize in my mind that I didn't fully understand um, because I've I've never heard it that way. The too many people white, too many white people like you. Like I knew I was like, there's something wrong with the situation, but I didn't know how to identify it. So that was, I was like, ah, that's what it is. You know, there's like that trust there. And Mm -hmm. even though there's the trust between the two groups, it still doesn't feel, I don't want to say, valuable maybe um or truthful i want to say um, authentic yeah authentic that's the word that's the Mm -hmm. word um Mm -hmm. and so i really like in in this essay tressie specifically states that she does not code switch she does not code switch whether she's doing interviews whether she's talking to people she does show up as her authentic black self and i really value that um, and that's kind of, I think that's what I aspire to be. And I, I know that's not who I am now. Like even at work, I definitely treat people differently, uh, than I would normally in my mind, you know, like I'm doing something, mm-hmm. I'm saying something completely different in my mind than coming out of my mouth. Um, mm-hmm. and to me, like it is to make white people feel comfortable and that's, mm-hmm. and that's, 
like the opposite of anything that I want to be doing and that my <laughs> goals are doing. Like they should be feeling uncomfortable in ways that make them grow. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Because yeah. your, your, your goal would be to stretch them in ways of growth. Right. Yes. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And so I think just having this concept of like the trusting means that they, real conversations are not being had if they're at that mm. level of trust where it's just like, oh, you know, so friendly. You know? Yeah. No, I think it makes a really good point. Especially when you say, like, the way she framed it really named an experience that I think probably all of us can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have both been the person that, quote unquote, too many white people feel comfortable around. And then when another person of color, but especially a black person coming around, Mm-hmm. Because I know that to some extent I've been code switching. I feel uncomfortable that authenticity thing comes back up to play. Um, and so I feel that at that point, like it's like a mirror held up to myself. And I know that ooh, I've been code switching and it's going to be hard for me to maintain that mm. in the face of another black person. So I either like feel distant from them mm-hmm. to an extent. Right. Yeah. Or I got to be able to forfeit whatever benefits I was getting from white people trusting me as much as they do and link up with a black person, but knowing that that comes at an opportunity cost. Mm. But I gain an authenticity leverage if that makes sense yes it does yeah so uh mm-hmm. I thought it was dope that Tracy you saying like she doesn't code switch I code switch so much less often than I ever have in my entire life mm-hmm. so much less um I think that comes in tandem with me just embodying myself more period but I think an important part of this conversation especially when we're talking about code switching is who has the I think it just has to do with resources so Mm -hmm. code switching is a tool for access to opportunities resources aka money to pay your bills so you can survive Mm -hmm. so yeah I think when we're talking about code switching we have to we have to pull back the layers of like why why does somebody have to essentially self-abandoned to some extent um for survivability sake resource sake opportunity sake and it's just like yeah so you don't we don't only demonize the person it's like shout out to Mm -hmm. tracy and i know she hasn't always had it but i Mm -hmm. know she got it now so she got the she got the the i'm gonna say privilege of not having to code switch Mm, yeah i hadn't thought about it that way yeah, yeah, having the privilege to or not to. Yeah, yeah. I think that is so mm-hmm. factual because, mm-hmm. I mean, and you know how we're conditioned, like, to be young people in pr- these, like, predominantly white professional spaces. Like, we're told mm-hmm. 
you have to be a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to show up at a certain time. You have to, uh, you know, not talk to her in meetings if you're not giving a presentation. Like, it's very much, mm-hmm. we don't have the privilege to just, like, exist outside of those, um, like, unwritten social rules or mm-hmm. even written that you've been told and verbalized when you're mm-hmm. not adhering to them. So, yeah. yeah, that's such a good point. And to get to her status, she talks a lot about class. Um, and like upper mobility so yeah that's yeah to get to that point she would have had to play by all the stupid little rules right yeah good point yeah yeah thank you thank you mm-hmm. so stripping shifting to more university spaces Tracy states that some colleges and universities have gone so far as to have more non-white students in their marketing than they do in their classes. Let's pick this apart and discuss universities. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> First of all, I, I'm happy that I'm going to say at least in most ways, not in all ways. I am happy that universities are on the decline, Mm -hmm. um, as a lot of our former institutions are crumbling in general, um, because it's all about, it's just a a marketing, it's just a marketing scheme. It's just just a marketing ploy. um, A lot of the same folks that are being leveraged on these, uh, on these brochures and advertisement and like, Oh my God, like we're a diverse mm-hmm. college and community. We value our students and it's all a bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, this is ultimately about have having the highest profits and um yeah, the people that get stepped on in the meantime are often the people who are if not specifically featured on these uh brochures, they come from spaces. Mm-hmm. And they come from other people who are on these brochures that don't have access to these spaces and will never benefit. So, right. fuck them. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely also, happy. Did this get paid? Like, I know, like, actors or whatever, when they do, like, professional ones, but when mm-hmm. they, like, meet actual students, okay. I, I don't think so, honestly. Oh, I don't nice. think so. Remember when, uh, OSU was like revamping its space and it was doing all those printouts of all the students, you know, just doing mm-hmm. things around campus. You know, they didn't get paid mm-hmm. for that. Exactly. Even though their faces are blown up everywhere. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's kind of, you should just be happy because, like, you're on our wall. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's, you made an extra, like, couple million and uh, mm-hmm. I can't pay my bills. So I'll be back next semester. But my face was on the wall. Okay, bye. Right. Right. It's like, ah. Oh, I'll live here forever till they redo <gasps> the space and rip your face down. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm very happy they're on decline. I just, not that I had a bad experience at a university, just the whole concept doesn't make sense in my mind. And to see my brother go through it now, I'm just like, oh. this is so unreasonable. Like the expectations they put on students, the amount of money they expect them to pay. I'm just like, why? For what? This is literally a subpar education. Right. I don't understand. Like so, you probably get a better education from YouTube, like actually at this point. 
Right, exactly. Or like going somewhere and doing something just on the job experience. Like sitting in a yeah. classroom is such a, it, it doesn't make sense. I remember like when I had my first internship and I went back to school, I got super depressed because everything that I was spending my time on doing projects on and learning had literally zero relevance to what I would actually be doing in the real world. And I was like, and that happens way too often, especially as the world speeds up, Mm -hmm. people are just too slow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It just, it doesn't make any sense anymore in this whole I mean, we can both speak to this because we both went to a PWI, a predominantly white institution, where, yeah. oh my gosh, the percentage of like non-white students is so low. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was, but I honestly feel like it was like 2% black students. Um, it was low. It was so I don't know low. if it was that low. It was low, though. It was low. It was bad. I know. It didn't match the Oklahoma population. Right. Yeah, and I think we're 11% of the po- Oklahoma population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a decent, decent percentage, yeah. And yeah. I also wonder if that's, like, I don't know what the the the, rates, the statistics are at the University of Oklahoma because OSU is an agricultural college. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why I was so white. I don't know. But OU is white, too, so. Yeah. Mm. Very much so. Mm. I no, don't no. know. No. no. All right. Yes. Speaking of college. Yeah. Next question says: In college, we call the students from specific African countries international students. Here, Chessie calls them Black ethnic. How do you feel about this term and and the divide that was very apparent in school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never heard black ethnics before. That was interesting. It didn't seem appropriate to say, honestly. Um, you didn't? Black ethnics? That sounds that sounds mean. I don't know why, but it just sounds mean. <laughs> if somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I would never call someone a black ethnic. Like, what? No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, thank you. I'd like to live today. Um, but in, so in college, this was like my first interaction, my tr- like first true interaction with students that were from um, other countries that were also black, like international students. And I was very oblivious to this divide. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, we're just all black. Um, but students that came from different countries were like, no, I am I am this. I'm from here, um, wherever they're specifically from. And I was like, oh, OK, that's right. I'm glad you know and you're aware of this. That's really nice. Um, so I was just kind of like, I don't know, I was just a bit oblivious to the whole thing. I remember um, attending, I think it was a, a Black Student Association meeting and they would have like those little debate top not really debate topics but just topics that they wanted to discuss and I think one of the meetings was about that um and that was interesting just to sit and listen in on um but I still was very much like not in this mindset to where like I couldn't tell you exactly what was said or what happens and 
like I'm at a better place where I could listen in and be like, ah, okay, like these concepts and these ideas um, have a more concrete foundation in my mind. I can have a better discussion about them now. But when I was, you know, in college, 18, 19 years old, I was not uh, in a mental headspace to really like process that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that's all I have. I feel ya. Um, I actually got one more question before I answer it. So when you are meeting folks from different countries that they can name what their what their ancestry was, mm-hmm. does that make you feel a way or jealous? Yeah, <gasps> yeah, because it's just like, oh, that's cool. Like you actually know, like you know what's happening. You know where you're from. Yeah, definitely jealous. I was like, oh, no wonder where I'm from. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So for me, I actually really like the term black ethnics, mm-hmm. but I like it in a certain setting. Like I like it in a academic or a discussion type context. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know that that makes it to like everyday Okay. But I do like the fact that she, I, I never heard of this term, so I don't know if she made it up or whatever. But if she did, shout out to her because one of the biggest issues with, uh, I think, blackness in general, black blackness broadly, is that it lacks nuanced language. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when we're having these discussions, debates, arguments, whatever, um, Sometimes I think there's more overlap in what we're trying to get at, but we don't have the tools to get there because we don't mm. have the this nuanced language. Um, it's it's a little bit harder for me to specifically keep this in a academic setting because uh, for me this topic is pretty personal because I consider myself African American. Um, or sometimes I do describe myself as pan-African because I, I, my two grand, grandmothers are descendants of, at least for the most part, you know, they have a little bit of European blood, a little indigenous blood, but um, of enslaved Africans in the United States. And then one of my grandpas is from Ghana, West Africa. Then another one of my grandpas is, so he is technically my step grandpa. We're not blood related, but he's the only like paternal grandpa I ever knew, and he is from Jamaica. Hmm. So also descendant of uh, enslaved Africans in the Americas, but not the United States, mm-hmm. um, according to what he knows. But so I got to see blackness in these different contexts, um, and for me growing up with my West African family, it was definitely a divide to a large extent of us being considered, I mean, and more worse than this, but like the lowly Black Americans, the lowly uneducated, unsophisticated Black Americans, Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of a reflection on our group as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then uh, them being considered, you know, my West African family being considered the sophisticated, educated folks who are well-traveled 
and spoke multiple languages and mm. have this, this international network of deep culture and, and business and family and just things that was implied that we lacked. Yeah. Even though we actually blood family and then there's overlap in the in, you know, what I know about my Ghanaian Ghanaian ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically in school, so so whenever we have this discussion or this topic comes up, I think I always have to acknowledge that part of my perspective is colored by having these intimately negative experiences with it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if somebody else that didn't have it would maybe take it so hard. I don't take it as hard as I once did, but it used to like really bother me. But um, I think in an academic setting, um, yeah, particularly I think continental Africans, Afro-Caribbeans too for sure, but uh, specifically continental Africans really play into this um, because uh, they often are deemed by white people as, you know, being more sophisticated and having mm-hmm. a thirst for knowledge and academic prowess that black Americans lack, which I don't think is true. Mm-hmm. I'll speak this out of context. Um, I, I think it's a big issue. Um, and I think that it is ultimately, uh, I don't know, it's, I think it's us still being puppets on a string of mm-hmm. whiteness because we're being defined in the, in the context of whiteness, but being like, haha, I'm higher on a totem pole than you. So it's good. Right. And it's like, mm, how about we cut the strings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I didn't realize that you knew so much of your family history. I knew that you said you have family in Ghana and you have family in Jamaica. I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh. but you have, like, the whole, okay, sorry. I guess I never asked for an actual, like, specific oh, no, specific okay. inquiry. But, yeah, that's so cool that you did get yeah. to have such an intimate um, relationship with so much of your family and it is so broad um, mm-hmm. yeah I love that yeah not gonna lie I have always felt more fortunate than I think your average yeah. African American because I feel firmly African American but if I go to the continent of Africa obviously that's not probably my entire African genealogy but I have some place to go mm-hmm like a connection of like oh hey I can map this to these people mm-hmm. um so I, I I have always been grateful for that mm-hmm. that's and good though that. no yeah. that's amazing I think that's awesome yeah because um most people are just relying on I mean and most people as in me also are just relying that's on right. these little 20 and 3 and me black ancestry little DNA swabs that they be doing and I'm like mm, is this real is this real yeah, are we sure about this? So that's, and I think that's really great. Um, I, I agree with you. I think there is a, a hierarchy placed on continental Africans compared to um, Black Americans. And uh, you definitely see that in a lot of university spaces, but also in a lot of um, like major corporations. So yeah. uh, like in Portland, Intel is really huge. And, you know, that's tech. And so they bring a lot of people in from all over the world, um, especially uh, the African continent, especially India. And so you can meet people and they're like getting their Ph.D. and all these uh, all these things um, because they're because major companies 
are paying for them to not only work for them, but uh, to ensure that they can stay as they get these um, these degrees through the universities. So it's like a requirement, like, yeah, you're getting your PhD and you're allowed to work for us. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. they're essentially performing double labor um, right. for the companies, of course, which is, uh, you know, how companies function. Um, but of course, then they're respected because they're like, oh, well, you have your PhD and you work for these uh, high ranked Fortune 500 companies and things like that. And it's just like, well, the amount of energy and life that I had to give to this company to get this position um, is why. Um, but I, I agree with you. Black Americans want those opportunities. They want to be able to work for these companies as well or start their own companies and Due to systemic racism, mm-hmm. of course, this is what perpetuate. We we know, we know exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely. Also, definitely I think one thing. Thank you. I think one thing that also people don't mention when we're looking at, I don't know, even if you look at the accolade accolades of continental Africans or first generational Africans in America, and compare them to. Uh, African-Americans, a lot of the times, they can skew in favor of continental Africans. I think the context is, though, this is often the creme de la creme of their countries, mm. of, of these countries that come into this space. So these aren't True. your average Joe folks. This mm-hmm. is not, hey, I'm your average Ugandan. I'm your average Kenyan. This is, mm-hmm. this is top 1%, and I'm coming to this space, so then we all look like right. this is average or like hey we're better than you mm-hmm. but if you do the same for these groups i think you will have you know so it's just like context mm-hmm. context context also yeah. what's the agenda behind this yeah absolutely you are yeah. very correct very correct yes okay um Okay, so when Tracy was a a professor at a university, she was attending a meeting with a group of other professors, and she was told that the typical black and white dynamics were outdated, and that essentially black is over, or no, literally, black is over. Um, That statement was said so casually because of the kind of black that Tracy was presumed to be in rooms such as those. What kind of black do people typically confuse you to be so that's such an interesting question so depending on again I think context is so important but I can be considered uh an exceptional black person that shames and looks down. I, I say exceptional with like irony, like a bitter irony. Mm. Like a quote unquote exceptional black person who looks down on, you know, your quote unquote average black person. Mm. Again, depending on context and seen as one who doesn't associate with them. And I say them in like italics. Um, or if I, if, if I wear like certain things like, like a hair wrap or something, 
then I definitely can be seen as exotic black or as Tracy says, a black ethnic. Um, it, I, I could pay up some different physical features to be seen as uh, an exotic black, if you will. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I actually don't really wanna elaborate on that. Uh, yeah, how about you? Yeah. yeah. How about you? Um, I mean, for me, people usually just don't consider me black. That's mm. more of my issue. When they do finally understand, when they finally quiz me and they drill me enough to be like, oh, but where are you really from? And they're just like, oh, you're black. I'm just like, yeah. And it's just kind of like after that conversation, that's it. Like they, I mean, that's not true. After they find out, then they want to have conversations. And it's because they probably feel safer for me because I'm not, um, um, first of all, I'm a woman. Yeah, I'm ambiguous looking. I'm a woman. Um, I have a relatively, I smile a lot. I think that's one of the things people tell me. Like, oh, you must be from the South. You smile so much. Oh. Um, yeah, it's like the whole my face doesn't match my actual personality type of thing. <laughs> funny that is funny yeah people feel comfy around me I think okay this just never mind we don't I'm about to go on a tangent (laughs) yeah so people people confuse me to like they think that they can just talk very openly about race to me and they can you know say their stereotypes and their their things and before yeah I wouldn't like correct them or I wouldn't say things to them but now I I feel more comfortable correcting them and being like "Mm." or just walking away and just like not entertaining them as I would usually I don't even say entertaining is like playing into it but more like doing those like smile and awkwardly laugh thing now just like straight face if I don't want to talk to them or I just divert the conversation you know what okay so I had an incident incident today Mm-hmm. Where I was with, I was doing some like a volunteer project. Uh, some of the volunteers were having this super like viral conversation, saying really rude, uh, stereotypical things against uh, this group here, who are sometimes deemed as the black people of Hawaii, and they are mm-hmm. Micronesia folk. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they present as black, but they get treated as the lower class. Mm-hmm. Um, saying stuff about them, and then they were also talking about how tearing down... So the thing is, for some, for the first part of the conversation, I was zoned out. Then, so I only came back and caught the second half, and they were talking about uh, tearing down statues, uh, you know, a lot of the statues that commemorate uh, or celebrate just like mass genociders and enslavers and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of the statues and stuff that have been coming down in these last couple of years and how that was uh, racist and uh, destroying history, something. Mm. But I was feel the need to, I mean, I did respond, but I didn't like go in and respond fine and trying to convince people otherwise because very recently, like a week ago, <laughs> I finally came into this, idea or this identity of like I don't want to proselytize but I'm not trying to convert nobody 
um, I'm not even really trying to spend more time and energy trying to change the world that is. I'm just trying to create the world that I want to live in. And part of that is having these conversations that we do in this book club and trying to figure out like how to name the world that is. But I'm just over trying to like convince people, have discussions, have debates. And, build out the space I want to exist in but then I kind of felt like damn I really could have I showed up but I could have showed up more energetically in that but Mm. yeah I mean I understand that and like looking back it may have like you can say like oh I could have showed up more energetically but even today you're like this week has been exhausting like you just didn't have the energy to and literally entertain their ignorance um and correct their ignorance and you know hopefully there's uh someone that does have the energy and can do that for them or they can just finally educate themselves one day that's the ultimate goal right so i mean don't be hard on yourself like they will yeah yeah i think that's one of the things i'm trying to learn is just let people be just letting other people just letting them uh just be ignorant just like yeah yeah it's cool yeah it's not my responsibility because you don't get paid to do that definitely not definitely not yeah yeah so one question and then we'll go to the next one do Mm -hmm. people do you notice a different in treatment when people uh can't quite pin your ethnicity uh, or race opposed to when you, after you tell them? Like, do you mm-hmm. like treat me as a person? Um, mm, I mean, definitely, yes. I'm not going to say I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely like a, like a weird fucking fixation until they figure oh. it out. And then once they oh. figure it out, it's like, oh, the shiny new toy has lost its luster. Ah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just like, okay, whatever. Thank oh. you for leaving me alone. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Get that well. Gotcha. But yeah, it is it is a little different. Mm-hmm. But they sure do be feeling comfortable enough to say some shit though. <laughs> little do they know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, all right. Keep thinking I'm Hispanic. Go ahead. That's fine. Yeah. I know how you really are. I also think that that really speaks to the, I guess it's more uh, common now, but for so long there has been such a denial of let, of African uh, roots in Latinx, mm. Latino, Hispanic people. So even if you read as Latino or Latin, or Latinx, whatever, or Hispanic, mm-hmm. it's kind of just like accurate. Lots of folks are, you know, part European. Right part African, part indigenous, and different uh, ratios, so, yeah. Exactly. All right, so, speaking of blackness, how do you define blackness? And do you think if blackness were clearly defined, that there would be no space for, like, a racial dolezal? Mm, Yeah, such a such a good question because 
I don't know if I even have a definition for blackness. I was reading this question and I was like, man. Because I feel like blackness is only defined by whiteness. And, you know, actually, it's not even really true because I feel like somehow, mm, I just going to go into like brownness, but that's, and how like brownness is shrinking. And like, you know, Hispanics are becoming are becoming white but they already look visibly white so so for well, me well it depends definitely depends on what country you're talking about true absolutely true yeah yeah but for me blackness is like to me blackness is authenticity it is joy in face of hardship it is just it is the culture it is um a lot of good times and a lot of people that are incredibly resilient um like that is blackness like the core for me um but it's so much is so much that um we base it off is like the outward appearance um and i don't know it's such a such a so many layers to this question um so if blackness were defined clearly i don't i don't think you can define blackness clearly you can't just be like oh it is this it isn't this right because there's so there's so much diversity just within blackness Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. like the external features and everything it's it's very difficult um to pinpoint like specifically this is this versus it is not that um, other than whiteness, well, that's not even true. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, I'm just butchering this question. Sorry. No, you're not. Um, but I'm, I, I'm because I'm feeling your answer. Okay. Okay. Good. But I think there there will always be. Um, there's no way to like gatekeep a Rachel Dolezal, right? There's always going to be people that want to be black. And there always be black people that want to be white. Like the system that is created has um, just reinforced these extremities that don't exist. First of all, that don't truly exist. Um, but there will always be, like no matter what, there's always going to be those people that want to explore uh, someone else's culture because it, they find that, um, I don't know, interesting they're able to like tap into other people's lives, I guess. Whiteness yeah. is able to. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> don't don't no, you gave me some really I think you gave a very expansive answer that helped me form I think what I'm gonna at least try to say. So I think what was that movie? Uh it was the Tanahasi Coates movie, was it? Hmm. Um, looking at right Between the world. Between the world. Mm. One of the opening lines says, "They made us into a race. We made us into a people." Mm-hmm. So I think blackness is multidimensional, but I'm gonna define it in two ways. So the the tool of oppression that is race 
the, in that way that blackness is defined, I think that it is forever tethered to whiteness because mm-hmm. it is to define what whiteness is not. And in that is not is all things negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read something last week when I was prepping for that uh, webinar that said, blackness anchors whiteness Mm. and so I think blackness is an anchor to whiteness because whiteness is expansive and shape shifts according to what power calls for Mm -hmm. power and access to resources so in that way uh, I think in race terms blackness is you know, like in psychology, that, that idea of like a shadow, like we all have a shadow. Hmm. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, blackness, the race of blackness is whiteness shadows. So mm. it's to contribute all negative traits that whiteness actually possesses and puts it on the other. Ooh. Wow. I love that. Ooh, thanks. Yes. Oh, you can have really good. Up. no but that's so good it makes so much sense because literally like the stereotyped the negativity like just the like oh black people are violent and black people are lazy and it's just like no white people are fucking violent white people are fucking losers right like just just as much or more so i know more so i know white people you know but even if you look on a, a macro scale it's like on a micro level, okay, maybe you could argue, whatever. But on a macro scale, just like genocide after genocide mm-hmm. after oppression, like, come on. But just exactly. to contribute to the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back exactly. to that projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. So, yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I think the other part of that is the, we made ourselves into a people. Um, mm. I think that in that way, blackness is expansive. Literally, mm-hmm. the image that comes to mind is uh, like the vastness of the universe mm. in outer space. And you see like like this darkness that looks infinite and it kind of frames everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that, even if I had to bring whiteness into that, I think that whiteness maybe is a star, but it's so minor. And I think Whenever we see stars, it's like dead stars that something, mm-hmm. something is different or whatever. By the time we can see them, it's like it doesn't yeah. actually even exist. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think blackness is expansive. Um, I think that it is uh, just some of the other things that you named about like joy and resilience and I don't mean that in the way of like hey endure all this violence and harm two thumbs up but resilient as in like you know you still find the love and laughter and beauty in life despite maybe these hardships you had to endure um I think that blackness is uh like a fertile place for growth even when I see the ways that other communities and people who don't even know that they're using black cultural tools Mm -hmm. uh they are using them as much as we can criticize that and i think rightly so there's also a lot of beauty in somebody else being able to use blackness um in order to you know better color their lives 
let them have more joy, uh, longer survival, um, expression, creativity, all the things that we need just like as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, the two terms that come on, well, I'm going to say just one of them because the other one I don't know enough about, but I think of the the Black Belt South that we learned mm-hmm. about in uh, Black Food Matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like this like fertile space for growth and creation and uh, expansion. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, okay, Rachel Dolezal. I think, number one, Rachel Dolezal specifically, and Rachel Dolezal uh, and Bad Baby or Bad Bunny. Oh, I think her name is Bad Baby. I don't know. And, mm. you know, all the, mm-hmm. yeah, all the, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing they always have is somebody, usually, at least at first, a black man, but somebody black for the community uh, giving legitimacy to the bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, although I think a Rachel Zola saw as person could sprout up, it would not be given legitimacy had not if black people didn't uh, legitimize it, didn't validate it. Mm-hmm. Especially black power. So I think she is because mm. we did, and we specifically, we collectively, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. <sighs> yeah. 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 Kind of like you just only remember the bits and pieces of the story. And I'm like, oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like because uh, no need to wish your faces yeah. on that story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not, it's not worth the memory. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Daniel Kaluuya, who is the British son of a of sorry, Daniel Kaluuya, who is the British son of Ugandan parents and star of Get Out and Judas and the Black Messiah, was criticized by Samuel L. Jackson for playing Black American characters. This sparked much debate between those who are special Black or non-American Black from those who are regular Black or descendants of enslaved Africans in the United States. In the text, Tressy at one point says, no, I'm not from anywhere special. I am just Black. Have you witnessed the difference in opportunities, rewards, and respect between special Black people and regular Black people? Quote unquote, special Black people and quote unquote, regular Black people, sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I have definitely seen there be a. I've witnessed the hierarchy of blackness. Um, I think intracommunally, so even with each other, but especially um, out in the world, especially in white spaces. Mm. Um, I think that it's pretty. Sh- I take issue with it because a few things. But are you okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I think that uh, the Audre Lorde quote comes uh, is most appropriate. Uh, what I'm about to say, she says, "The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house." And I think that whenever we play into this hierarchy of blackness, 
Um, we are using the quote unquote master. I say that with bitter, I don't know, like uh, disrespect. Mm. But um, it's never, it's like, that's never going to get us to liberation. Um, for one, I don't think that necessarily blackness, as far as like, I'm talking about, oh God, this can get complicated. I, I don't think that black people globally, when we're talking about specific cultural icons, I don't think that you can just kind of interchange one person from a specific culture for the next. I think mm-hmm. in general, that's fine. When you're talking about specific cultural icons like a Fred Hampton, I take issue with that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, also I think particularly black, black British folk don't want to admit that although they uh, endure anti-blackness, um, they receive a type of uh, preferential treatment because there is still proximity to whiteness. Mm-hmm. Specifically for English, a black person. Um, and I think these same people who have the same credentials as like a black American or even less are seen as still more educated, more sophisticated, um, and more skilled, regardless of the evidence. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's going to take us to be intentional about the ways that we have this conversation with each other. But again, context, you know, folks need money to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, being an actor, actress is difficult. And whenever you get a big break, I think that it probably could be hard to say no, even if you feel like, I don't know if I have a right to embody this space or you can maybe not even think about that question really because you need some money or this is your big break, this is your opportunity or Mm -hmm. it is came to your door and it's meant to be and whatever. Um, Yeah. Just want to say about that. Mm -hmm. that, Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have as well um, witnessed just different opportunities and definitely different respects. And I even have some of that internalized, um, like respect of, oh, they're they're better. They're from a different country, you know, um, that mentality, it still exists within me. And I'm trying to break that. Um, but it's I'm not going to lie. It's kind of difficult because America is just... Uh, there's less respect for that I have for America as I learn more about America. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like that's not disrespect towards the people. It's just disrespect towards the system. But it's hard to separate those sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, yeah, I've, I've definitely witnessed that as well. And I think um, the issue of non-Black Americans playing Black American parts is more so of like what allows that to happen like who does the hiring or the casting for movies like those are all I'm sure done by white people who directs mm-hmm. it sometimes white people sometimes not but you know like the power-ups the ones with the money like they're the ones right. making those decisions and they're still white so they're going to be generalizing all black people at the end of the day 
Um, so, you know, it, it's not on that individual actor. It's on the whole movie making production team. So, yeah. No, I think you hit the nail on the head because even if there's a black director, mm-hmm. can we zoom out just a black funded and directed project? Mm-hmm. Right. People have actual agency or right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We just yeah. need Tyler Perry to remake um everything. <laughs> <gasps> oh no. Okay, I gotta disagree with you on that one because he is notorious for a bad wig. And a, <laughs> and a downtrodden black woman angry bitter storyline. No, I meant like his company remake them, not himself. Oh, not okay, him. okay, okay, not okay. Because he, he got, to be in got them. a closeted black man oh. and gave a black woman oh, a no. bitter and burning down the town. Yeah, no, I not not him himself. No, we we okay. just have his company got do you. some things. Yeah, got yeah, yeah. Town no. Okay, no, I'm with not you. trying to. I don't need any more Medea shit, for real. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that I can talk with. <laughs> or more funding just for like independent filmmakers. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Last, but actually probably one of my favorites. Tracy says in the text. People like to project the best of themselves onto others. What is an admirable trait you possess that you tend to project onto other people? Such a good question. It's such a positive question, too. Um, yeah, because we, we, we discussed this a little bit earlier, and most people project negativity. It's most mm-hmm. often what you hear, but you don't as often hear about positivity, so I love that. Um Admirable, but for me, I'm like, hmm, what do I do? Um, because I was gonna like, I was gonna name a trait that I think you have, that mm-hmm. I think you project out onto other people. Yeah, I was thinking but it would be I, easier if we did that for each other than ourselves. Yeah, we totally should. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Yes. Okay. So let me go first. I don't know that I have the right language, so I'm just gonna talk through it. That's fine. So. There is a particular, oh, it's like, so I was going to call it uh, confidence, but it's actually a type of self-assuredness that you mm. actually embody. I don't know if you realize this, but you embody it so much so where it's not like, it's not like pomp um, and it's not like you don't ever feel insecure or doubtful, but just witnessing the way that you have moved through like insecurities that I and, and doubts that I think would take most people out mm-hmm. and the ways that I think you project that out onto other people is sometimes I'm gonna say specifically with me sometimes you're talking to me um but you're not necessarily trying to I think uh directly like uplift me uplift me or anything but you're projecting something very beautiful from your own perspective that it causes me to like first of all it heals parts of me that I didn't realize like needed some healing or just needed to be reinforced um but it also makes me want to embody that also so that's how I know that's just not something you're doing on purpose and it's like actually something you're just embodying because it 
it nurtures in a way that's like almost indirect. Hmm. And yeah, I don't want to give examples because I feel like it's going to cheapen what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate and respect that about you. That's been very, yeah. very healing. Thank you. That's like the sweetest thing. Yeah. I'm not going to cry, but I feel like crying. Thank you. That is oh, so kind. Yeah. I really appreciate I that. I mean, um, yeah. Thank you. I was definitely not aware of that. So thank yeah. you. No I'll tell you, you embody it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the traits that I believe that you possess, um, that you project on other people, uh, I think you are highly intelligent and I want to specifically say like emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, but all intelligence. But what yeah. I wanted to focus on is like the way that you are able to dissect things and the language that you have cultivated to discuss and have like have these discussions and especially have the discussions with me because, um, you know, I love that we've created this space and it's definitely a learning process. And I, I've learned so much from you and it's because you possess this emotional intelligence to connect. And I've seen you not only do this with me, but do this with other people and to, uh, just describe things and unpack things in a way that is not talking down to anyone or shaming them for not knowing it. And uh, you create this, like, honestly, I feel like you create a space that is very comfortable to be open and um, just explore different concepts and learn and grow because you possess such a, just a high level of emotional intelligence all intelligence Mm. of course but like it's just so easy to be in your presence and have conversations and I know you say um you know you're trying to like not have these conversations or you say like you want to have all these conversations with people but not exhaust yourself and I think Mm -hmm. it's because you do just people can connect with you so easily and you are able to like understand people so well that it's those things are going to happen so but I I just appreciate what you're able to create just by being yourself mm. so I'm not gonna lie I, I parts when you were talking like tears were blowing up in my eyes because I uh these are things that I aim to do but I don't think that I necessarily realize that like I'm living that out so just to hear you say that, it's, it's super affirming. It just makes me feel like, yeah, it just makes me feel proud. And I'm super proud of this space that we've built out. Um, because mm-hmm. I just believe in creating safe spaces with people. Um, yes. Yeah. Because I think yeah. that's how we learn and grow. If we don't feel safe, I don't think that there is any true creation, learning, growth, connection. And these are some of the things that I'm fundamentally driven by. So just to hear that I'm living up to that, it's just like, that's dope. Yeah, you are. You are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Facts! Oh, that was such a beautiful note to end on. I love this. Yes. So happy, too. I'm glad. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about that, too. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. 
Today's discussion was based on the study guide we created for this podcast. The study guide is free, and if you would like access, the link is included in the show notes.